Our Heavenly Father, we bow here in your presence and we uh, come to praise you and to thank you and to just express our love and our gratitude to you. Father, we give you all of the honor that was due you and we just ask now that as we go into the remainder of this service and look into your word that you would open it up for us, that Father, you would draw our hearts together in unity and love for each other, um, that we might have... uh, camaraderie and communion around your word and that father we would leave here uh challenged and a little bit different than we were when we came in we ask that now in jesus name amen all right why don't you all be seated i want to again just express our gratitude to all of you that are fathers and what a special day this is and uh, encourage you women to take him out for lunch somewhere and treat him, and a back rub, foot rub, I mean, some, there's all kind of things, so make this day special for him, okay? Now, <laughs> you didn't get that on Mother's Day? Shame on you, Cletus. All right. As you know, I was gone last week. I want to thank Scott for filling in for me. We were gone to North Carolina to visit our family. Uh, Deb and I were both from the Carolinas and all of our families there. And it's interesting, we went out to eat a lot, you know, took my mother out to eat and family and so forth. And if there were two different restaurants that we went to where the waitress came up to us and the first thing she did was introduce herself and wanted to tell us a joke. I mean, nobody's ever done this before, a waitress. I mean, it's odd because it happened twice at two different places. One of the jokes I didn't get, the other one I did, and so I'm going to share that with you now. She walks up to the table and she says, introduces herself, he says, she says, hey folks, welcome here. And she said, let me just tell you a little joke. Here's the joke, okay? Now, I guess it caught me off guard. I thought it was kind of funny. Whether you think it is or not, laugh because it encourages me, all right? She said, she asked this question. She said, what do you do if you're ever attacked by a group of clowns? Anybody know? You go for the juggler. Uh, there you go. Fake laughs are acceptable. I'll take them, okay? <laughs> okay, let's get serious. You know, there comes a certain point, I think, in our lives where we as parents look at our children and we think to ourselves, you know what, I want to do over. I want to, I want a second chance to try to correct some of the mistakes I've made because I can see in their lives some of the issues that maybe uh, we've dealt with as parents and we think to ourselves, you know, how did, how did that happen? How did we pass on those same mistakes and, and so forth? And it may just be something small. Usually when I, Deborah and I talk about our kids a lot, you know, we think, man, you know, can you believe someone, that one of them's doing this and that? And I know, I know. You know, they got that from your family, don't you? You know? Um, and she, we discussed that, and she reminds me that it's probably me that they got it from, and I'll have to agree. But um, I think more often when we look at our kids like that, and we see things that we don't particularly like, The reason we don't like them, uh, for the most part, is because it reminds us of things in our own lives. We can see it very clearly. We know who we are and the kind of people we are and things we've done. And we can see that. And that's the thing I believe that makes it just get under our skin so easily is because we see that. Um, I think we've all wished at some point for a do-over. And that's not saying that our kids are bad. It's just saying we can see things in them that we didn't like about ourselves the first go around, and now for some reason, some way, we've passed those things on. Now, let me just say, if you're in that position and you look at your kids today and, and you know, they're probably pretty grown and you're, and you're looking to your, at that and you're thinking to yourself, well, I'd, 
I'd like another chance at that. I'd like to go into this knowing what I know now and, and have the ability to make those changes. Well, let me just give you some encouragement, okay? That's what God made grandchildren for. And that's your opportunity to get it right because you could have influence in their lives as well. And even if you can't influence them particularly, you can always have input into your children's lives to tell them and to encourage them, you know, these are the mistakes that I made. We made these mistakes. This is why you are the way you are. So fix it, you know. Um, but this is God's opportunity that he's given you to, to maybe have some impact in the lives of your grandchildren and to make that right. So today what I'm going to be talking to you about is this. I'm going to share with you five things that you and I can do to keep us from ever wanting to have a do-over. Um, I don't want to get to the point, you know, as a parent where there's this glaring problem or fault in my children's lives and I, and I think, you know, man, I wish I, you know, I wish that could be fixed. I wish I could have done it differently. There's some small things, but nothing major. And I think that as a parent, you feel the same way. None of us want to get to that point and think, well, it's too late. I can't fix it. Um, if you still have your children at home, these are some things that will help you. They will help you to be a better parent, help you to instill some things in the lives of your children that maybe it'll never get to that point where you wish to go back and change something. And again, like I said, if you're past those years and um, your children are grown, you always have the grandchildren to influence. And it may be that mom and dad aren't doing it the way that you, in retrospect, would want to do it now, but you can change that. And you can still have influence in the lives of your family. So I'm going to talk about these five things, and we're going to move quickly. One Number one is this. If you don't want to have to do a do-over, here's the first thing you do. Don't live out your dreams through your children. Don't live out your dreams through your children. Because parents, as parents, we do this all the time. We dream of becoming an athlete, and we never had that opportunity. Or we dream of being a musician, being on stage, and we never had that opportunity. Or we dream of being a doctor or a lawyer or a politician or president of the United States, whatever our dreams may have been. We don't have the opportunity to fulfill those dreams. So here's what we do. And we're notorious for this as parents. We're going to live out our dreams through the lives of our children. So we become very enmeshed and involved in their lives and we control them. We are determined that you're going to play ball whether you like it or not. We are determined you're going to take piano lessons whether you want to or not. How many of you ever took piano lessons and hated every minute of it? Anybody? I don't know what it is about parents thinking their kids have to play the piano. Now, I wish that I could. But honestly, I think if I had been forced to do it, I would hate it. But it's just one of those things. Maybe you have a business and you're thinking to yourself, my son is going to grow up and he is going to take over my business and do exactly what I do. And that's your dream. Well, that's great. That's your dream. But that may not be his or hers. And so as a parent, you and I have got to learn that our kids are, are unique. They're very unique. They're different. You, you can't have a family of three or four kids and they all be the same. It's not going to happen. It's not the way God made them. God made them to be unique. They are different in the way they learn. They are different in the way they think. They are different in the way that um, 
things that they're interested in. They're different in their dreams. They're different in their emotions and feelings. They're even different in the way they display their emotions and feelings. One of your children may cry at the drop of a hat. One angry look and they burst out in tears. The other just laughs at you and walks on. You know, they're just different. That's not good or bad. That's just the way it is. It's the way God has made us. And God has instilled in each one of us those differences. Let me read you this verse. Now, Paul is talking in the context of this passage about spiritual gifts and passions and abilities and all of this. And just talking about how that we're different. But this is an interesting verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 6. He says, there are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now, he's saying there are different kinds of working, things that God does and the way he does them in the lives of all of these men. But he does it in um, the lives of, of each of us differently, and he works those things about. So, yeah, you may have a child that is a, an athlete or an artist or a musician or a techie kind of person, an introvert, an extrovert. Now, I'm not saying that you can't try to challenge them in areas, but I'm just saying don't try to force them into a mold that just isn't them. And as parents, we tend to do that. Your job as a parent is to help them find out who they are. Who are you? Who is it that God wants you to be? How does God want you to live? Now, that doesn't mean that it is contrary to Scripture. It just means within the parameters of Scripture, how does God want you to live out your life on this earth? And it may be different than your brothers and sisters and totally different from me. But my job as a parent is not to make you into a mini-me. My job as a parent is to make you the best that you can be before God, how God would have you to be. And you and I have got to realize that. Here's what happens when we don't. Some of you have probably experienced this. Maybe this is true of you. Maybe this is already true of one or two of your children. If I try to live out my life through my kids and force them to be what I want them to be, they're going to end up in a career that they hate and married to somebody they don't love simply because they wanted to please me. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Because that's been your life. And in an effort to try to please mom and dad, you've lived a life that's somehow different than what you would have wanted. Don't do that to your kids. I wish I could develop some of these more, uh, more deeply, but we've got to move on for sake of time. But don't live out your dreams through your kids. Here's a second word of advice I'd give you, and that is this. To reassure your children of their value. To reassure your children of their value. How much you value them. Um, there are so many people that are in counseling today because somewhere along the line as they were growing up, their parents or other significant people in their lives never ever cared about them. Now maybe they did, but they didn't convey that. And what they have done is they've grown up with this impression this idea that nobody cared. They never really understood. They never really cared. Well, let me just say this. Caring for someone is different than caring about someone. You understand what I mean? A good provider, a dad that works 40, 50 hours a week providing for his family so that he can put a roof over their head and food on the table and clothes on their back, he is caring for them, and he's a good provider. But there's a difference in caring for them and caring about them. 
the details of their lives and showing an interest and in, in a love and a concern for them. And this is really the difference between being a good parent and just being a good provider. Because a good parent can make a child feel valued, important, loved, special. You know, one of the things I like doing whenever I go home and talk to my mother, and, and I know I don't know whether this is just getting older on my part or what. And maybe, I think it maybe it's true of a lot of us. Um, we, there comes a point in life where we want to know a little bit about where we came from. And so we start asking questions about their relatives, their parents, their grandparents, and so on and so forth. So Deb, you know, she would zonk out and go to bed early, and Mom and I would sit up and I would just question her about family members and things that I knew a little bit about, but not a lot, and that sort of thing. And we got off talking about her dad, my grandfather. Now, I never knew my grandfather. He died before my mom and dad were ever married. As a matter of fact, if he hadn't died, nobody in the family would have gotten married because he wouldn't allow it. Nobody was good enough for his children, and he would not have allowed it. My mother said my dad came to try to date her a time or two, and he ran him off. And uh, that was not the only one that he ran off. But as she began to talk, she began to tell me and just explain to me about my grandfather. She said that he was mean as a snake, and he uh, had eight children. There were eight brothers and sisters in the family. And um, that he raised them in such a way that she felt like we were more of a trophy to him than anything else. He dressed us up and sent us out into public to, be, to represent him. It was very important to him. But at home, he was just mean. And she said, to feel loved? No, I don't know that we felt loved. My dad was a good provider, but he didn't really love us, not the way we wanted to be loved. We didn't feel special. We didn't feel valued. We just felt like we were dad's trophies and that we were supposed to represent him and make him look good. Now, how many times have people been raised that way? You know, we're raised in such a way, and we've done this as parents. We get so caught up in our work, in our lives, in our living, that we don't really convey to our children at any stage in their lives just how special they are, how much they mean to us, and how much we love them unconditionally, and that there's nothing in this world that they could ever do that would cause us to turn our backs on them, never. Man, I know a lot of parents like that who would like to have a do-over. They've learned over the years that that's not the way to raise children. And they would love more than anything else in the world to go back and make it right. But you can't. Now, to some degree, maybe it's too late. Maybe it's not. You know, I'm a firm believer that as an adult, a parent of an adult child, there's always forgiveness. And you may not be able to go back and change it, but you can ask for forgiveness. You can admit to them what you see now as an older person, what you've done wrong. And to say to them, you know what, I, I blew it and I'm sorry. You know, I've done that a time or two. I can remember, remember with my son um, just some ways in which I was disciplining him that I, I had to go back and apologize. And I just said, hey, look, I'm new at this. You're the firstborn, buddy. You catch it all, you know, all the mistakes, everything. You're, you're, you're getting it. And I'm sorry for that. But, and, and I'm not perfect. And there are some things that I do wrong. 
I don't know, he never said whether that made him feel better or not, but I'll tell you what, I don't think he ever grew up feeling unloved or undervalued. And I think that that's so important. How do you show your children that they're important to you? How do you show them that they are valuable to you? Very quickly. Number one, you pay attention to them. Pay attention to them. You talk to them. You have fun with them. You hug them. You touch them affectionately. When you, I can remember whenever I would go by my children, we'd be watching TV and I'd get up to go get something out of the refrigerator and one of them sitting there on the couch. I would just put my hand on their shoulder and just pat them or put my hand on their head. I, nothing special. I just wanted them to know that I'm thinking of them, that they are valuable to me. Little things like that. They mean so much, and it's so important that we do things like that. Let me read you this verse, or a couple of verses here. It's in Matthew chapter 10. It's in verses 29 through 31. Now, this is Jesus talking and, and preaching, and here's what he says. It's a familiar passage. You'll know it as soon as it starts. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. I'm sorry, don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Now let me pick it apart for a moment, okay? Two sparrows are sold for a penny. Now they would sell sparrows and things like that, sometimes for food, sometimes for sacrifice. Two of them for a penny. His point is this, they're dirt cheap. There's no value to them. They have no value, two for a penny. But let me tell you something. In the eyes of God, they are very valuable that one of them doesn't even fall dead to the ground without the father giving his approval. He cares about the sparrow. He says, now let me turn that around and tell you that not only does he care about the sparrow, that's only half a penny in value, God has your hairs numbered. The details of your life, God knows. God cares. You are valuable. And he says that. He says, you are more valuable than many of the sparrows. And there's nothing going on in your life that God doesn't care about and God doesn't look at and say, this is important to me. You're important to me. Now, let me ask you this. Whenever you think about that verse, whenever you contemplate the depth of God's caring and God's loving love for you, how does that make you feel? That's what your children need to feel. They need to know you care about them that much. And it's up to you to make them understand that. And it's up to you to show that. And you have got to tell them, you've got to show them, you've got to demonstrate that to them. That's how you show that they're valuable. You pay attention to them. Here's the second one. You show them appreciation. You tell them it's a good job. You tell them you're proud of him. You make them feel special. You acknowledge the details of their life. I see what you did, and it's so good. I'm proud of you for what you've done. Sometimes I think we just believe they, well, they know it. I read this quote one time, uh, and I've, I've thought about it often. It goes like this. It says, great people make other people feel good about themselves. A great person is somebody that makes another person feel good about themselves. Guys, that takes an ability. It really does. For you to 
go after a person for the express purpose of making that person feel good about who they are. There are people like that. Few and far between, I'm afraid, but there are people like that. And it's so important that you and I are actively involved in making them feel special. Here's the third way in which you show your children that they're important and of value to you. Now, this one you probably are going to have to, you're not going to believe, okay? But listen, you show your children that they are valuable and they're important to you when you discipline them. When you discipline them. Now, that seems counterintuitive. It seems the exact opposite of what should be true. But it is true. Because here's what happens. A lack of discipline tells the child you don't care. I can do whatever I want and you don't seem to even care. I took a psychology course or two in in college and, and it was interesting because the professor told us one time, he said, when it comes to child um, raising children and so forth, he said, you've got to understand something. The children will push your buttons in order to get a rise out of you, a response. The reason they do that is because of this. Now watch. He said, a bad response, your anger, your discipline toward them is better to them than being ignored. Now this, this is odd, but you think about it. How many times have you laid on the couch, ignored your children while they run wild, you yell at them and they keep on doing it and keep on doing it until you finally just blow up and do something about it? They did it on purpose just to get you up because they would rather have bad attention than no attention at all. Now, I've told you the story before. I don't know if I told you this particular incident or, or about this particular friend of mine, but when we were growing up, there was a friend of mine, we'll call him Billy. Ever since we started putting these sermons on the website, I've had to change the names of the guilty parties because everybody's listening to these things. Uh, so I'm changing the names. But anyway, we'll call him Billy. And so Billy would come to our house, and I've told you about Billy before because, and I may have had used a different name even then, I don't know, but um, he had no family. He had a daddy that absolutely didn't care about him. Mother that had run off years ago. Billy ran wild through the community and through school doing his own thing and nobody literally cared. Now here's what happened. I can remember that there was a time, and this happened several times, but, but his response only occurred this once. My mother, when he would come down to play ball, would question him about his schoolwork or is he eating or what's going on with him. And so she would question him. And she would basically scold him. Why are you not doing better? Why are you spending so much time at the principal's office? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? You know, and he would just smile. And I can remember we finally talked. I said, he said, he said, I just love your mother. And I said, what is wrong with you? I said, I love her too. I said, but she's basically jumping all over you. Why are you putting up with that? Why do you let her do that? And I'll never forget what he said. She's the only one that cares about me. See, he knew she cared. And he knew it because of the way she was responding to him. So don't, don't underestimate the, 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 what, the message that discipline sends to your child. It's not always about correcting. It's about saying, you know what, you, you are so important to me, I'm not going to let you do that. I'm not going to let you continue to do that. 
Let's move quickly. Here's the third thing, the third point that I want to make as far as you not having to regret the way you've raised your children. Teach them to be responsible people. Teach your children to be responsible people. Now, giving responsibility is very important because it says this to the person, the child. It says, I trust you. I trust you. I'm going to give you this responsibility and watch you do it. And if you do it wrong, we'll correct it. And don't be ashamed of making a mistake. That's a good thing because we can deal with the mistake. But I'm going to allow you to do it. And and it's, here's what it says to the, the child. It says, I am so important to my dad or mom that they would let me take on this job, this responsibility. And it's how they grow. It's how they grow. Listen to this verse in Luke chapter 16, verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. You see, it begins small. Small responsibilities grow into big ones. And when they prove they can't do the little one, then deal with it and work with them and train them and teach them and help them. But here's what happens when you say to your child, I'm going to do it for you. Or I'm not going to allow you to try that. It says, basically, I don't think you're competent enough. I don't think you can pull it off. And our overprotection, when you think about it, is just another form of rejection. I've told you this story, or part of it at least before. And if you've heard these stories before, bear with me, because I am get to the age where I start forgetting them. So <laughs> I think, have I told them that before? I don't know. But... Um, Another friend, we'll call him Joe, was in our church up in Indiana. And Joe was uh, an adult man. He comes in one day and he's he's telling me, you know, he's having some marital problems. And we are entering into a time of counseling. Uh, and, and as we do that, he begins to tell me about his childhood. Now, I know his father and his mother. And he begins to tell me how that is growing up. We were in a farming community. His dad owns about 500 acres of land, corn, soybeans, the whole thing, you know. Big tractors, big combines, everything. It was like a, an industrial farm. He said, here's, the, here's how I was raised. He said, I wanted more than anything else to be in the farming business. Every kid that I was in high school with, before they could even drive, were harvesting corn on these $150,000 combines. He said they were planting, they were harvesting. Their dads taught them how to do that. Mine didn't. I would ask, Dad, can I help you? And he said, no, no, I'll do this. You can't do this. He never trusted me with his equipment. He never taught me how to use it. He never let me even try. I went through all of my high school years like that. Everybody else is doing what I want to do, and I'm not being allowed to do it. And then I told my dad when I was an adult, when you're ready to sell the farm, I want to buy it. I want to be a farmer, and I want this farm. His dad sold it out from under him, never even gave him a chance. This kid, this this young man, not a kid, this young man was crushed. Because you see what his dad was basically saying to him and had been saying all of those years is that you're too stupid to do this. You can't do it. You're not competent. 
And I tell you that because I want to encourage you that you have got to help your children learn responsibility. And I think as a parent, sometimes we overprotect them because we're scared to death they're going to fail. Now, I'm not talking about throwing them out there to the wolves to fail and get hurt. I'm talking about within parameters of safety, let them push the limits. Because they've got to learn to fail. As a matter of fact, set them up to fail. Because you want to teach them that failure is a good thing. And you can, you can fail and you can get back up and we can try it again until we get it right. Don't you worry. My love for you has never changed. And if you fail, it's okay. But you see, as parents, we've got to teach them that. Here's the fourth thing that you need to do as a parent to, so that you don't have any regrets. And that is this, that you need to learn to discipline them without condemning them. To discipline them without condemning them. Now let me talk about this for a moment. As a parent, you and I have the responsibility to correct our children. That's a God-given responsibility. Listen to these verses. In Proverbs 19, 18. Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. What is that talking about? It says, discipline your son, for in that there is hope. There is hope for him to change. He can be changed before it goes too far. It can be changed before it ends up with him messing up and killing himself. But if you don't discipline him ahead of time, he's apt to get killed. The correction is what prevents that. And you and I have got to understand that. Proverbs 13, 24 says, He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. You spare the rod, you know what? When you spare the correction, now I'm not talking about just spanking. If you spank your children, that's up to you. If you discipline them another way by restriction and so forth, that's up to you. They're your children. You know them better than I do. But however you choose to discipline, the object is to correct the bad behavior. When you don't correct the bad behavior, you say to them... I don't love you. This is what the verse is saying. He who spares the rod or the discipline hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. This is why it's so important that you need to understand the connection between your correction and discipline and what that child thinks about you as a parent and how you feel about them. There's security in that for a child. And so you've got to discipline them in a way that doesn't condemn them. Discipline should be constructive. Always should be constructive. So many times we as parents look at discipline as punishment. Ooh, now there's a difference here. Don't miss it, okay? Same way with you and and, and God. God disciplines you not as an act of punishment. God disciplines you to correct the bad behavior. God's not trying to get even. God's trying to change you. As a parent, that's what I do or should be doing as a parent. That I want to correct the behavior for your own good. I'm not out to get revenge on you for something you did. All right, so you blew up the lawnmower. I would be tempted to get even. But instead, then find out why and correct it, you see. 
There's the difference. Now here's an interesting verse. Listen to it. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Paul says this. He says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Don't exasperate them. That means to frustrate them or discourage them. The way you discipline them will be negative if your motivation is not what it should be in the way in which you do it. Look, the punishment needs to fit the crime. You don't have the right, okay? You don't have the right to wait until you are so angry that you go to an extreme. You don't have the right to do that. When it says here in this verse that you don't exasperate them or frustrate them, instead you do this, you bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That's not talking about training them. It's talking about you as a parent bringing them up in the instruction that God has given you. How does God want you to do this? That's what you need to be asking. And that it's incumbent upon you as a parent to bring them up according to the scriptural guidelines and the God's way of doing it. And God never meant for you to be abusive. Never. God wants you to correct the children, not abuse them. Discipline should never cause your children to doubt your love for them. Never. If you're correcting your children and disciplining them and they doubt your love for them, then you've done it wrong. They ought to be saying to themselves, it doesn't feel good, I don't like it, I hate it. But deep down, if I'm honest, I know mom and dad did the right thing. Here's the fifth and final thing. If you want to live a life and have no regrets, then you need to be a godly example. You need to be a godly example. Um, It's not enough to send your kids to church, okay? You need to bring them. It's not enough to tell your kids to go to Awana and learn how to pray. You need to be praying with them. It's not enough to be telling your kids what they ought to do. You ought to be setting the example. You can talk about trying to create and raise generous children, but they become generous because they see it in you. They know that you give to missions work because it's important to you. They know that you help poor people because that's important to you. They know that you give to the church because that's important to you. And I got to tell you guys, if it's not important to you, then it's not going to be important to them. And so you have got to set the example. The secret of being a great parent is to be a godly person. If you're a godly person, this is going to just ooze out of you. And they're going to see it. Let me read you this verse. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 26. Listen to what it says. He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress. And for his children, it will be a refuge. Now listen to what I'm saying. My relationship to the Lord, my fear of God, my faith in him, is a fortress for my family. And it says that um, for my children, it... It will be a refuge. It's not talking about God being the refuge. It's saying my faith, my relationship to God is the refuge for my children. They see me, they are secure with because they see in me an example of godliness. And they are secure with that. 
They find refuge in that. And dad, since this is Father's Day, you know, this is where you have to shine because this is your major responsibility as a dad in the home, okay? You have to be the godly example in your home of what a father should be, of what a Christian man should be, what a parent should be. And there's a security that occurs within your children when that occurs. Because the, the stronger your relationship to God is, the more secure they feel. And I can't explain it. I just know that it's true. And so if you don't want to have regrets as life goes on, then you look back and on your life, then here's the things that you need to do. Let me just repeat them one more time, the five things that you do in order to avoid the, the regrets. Number one, don't live your dreams through your children. Number two, reassure your children of their value. Number three, teach your children to be responsible people. Number four, you discipline without condemning. And you be a godly example. Now, I'll tell you this, okay? And I'll be honest here. You can do all of those things and your children can still turn out to be a disgrace to your family. (laughs) They can, okay? Because they have a free will and they're going to make choices, okay? But I'll tell you this. You begin to implement things like this and you will be light years ahead of the game. And you'll have a much better success rate than people who don't. But that's the encouragement to you on Father's Day. Dad, step up to the plate, okay? And be the dad. And if your your years are over, your kids are gone, then start trying to deal with your grandchildren. Start trying to reach out and help them, okay? Let me share with you this one last verse because you may have wandered in here today and not know my Lord as your Savior. And I want you to know that. I want you to leave here with the assurance that Jesus Christ is your Savior and that you're born again into his family. I want to throw this verse up to you. It's in John 3.16. Most of you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's God's promise to you, that God loves you that much, that you and I are sinners, we are rebellious by nature, but that God loves you so much, just like the sparrow, I will never turn my back on you, my creation. So he sent a Savior to take your place, and Jesus died on the cross, and when he did, God the Father took all of your sin, and he laid it on his Son. So from birth to death, your entire life was laid upon him. And at some point in your life, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you get it all. All is paid for. Man, that's grace. And how wonderful it is. The Bible says that all you do is put your faith in me. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, now's the day to do that. Don't, don't put this off. The Bible says that he died for you. Believe it. The Bible says that he paid for your sins. Trust him. Put your faith in him now. Right there where you sit. The Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's you right now, right where you sit. Will you do it? Let me lead you in a prayer.
This prayer doesn't save you. Only what's in your heart will save you. But the prayer just expresses, hopefully, what's in your heart. It goes like this, and you can follow along right there in your own mind. God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my life has shamed you. But I believe that Jesus died on a cross for me. And right now I'm trusting him to save me. I believe you died on the cross for me. Thank you, Father, for loving me that much. The Bible says, on the authority of God's word, you have eternal life. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you this morning, Father, we are humbled as men and women who have been parents, are parents in the process of being a parent. Father, there are a lot of mistakes that we've made. We admit that. We confess that. Because we're human too. But Father, I pray that each one of us, at whatever point they are in life, that we would begin to take note and say, you know, I don't want to get to the point in my life where I look back and see all of the things that I did wrong. And I can't go back and fix them. Because right now, maybe I'm in a position where I can fix it. And I pray for each one that is here today that we would begin right now to fix the issues in our lives. May we be the best parents that we can possibly be and raise our children to honor and to serve you with all of their hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.